0: Mishka Shabali is catching up with friends who are arguably more talented than him. Sup, y'all? Uh, hey, this is Mishka. I am. Uh, I am the. This is your captain speaking. I will be. I'm not even. I'm not even going to carry that metaphor any further. Um, we have a great show today. We have a bunch of great shows coming up. Um, I just uh recorded a podcast with my old friend Star Anna. She's a songwriter from Ellensburg, Washington. She and I did oh a ridiculous grueling tour together. Um I think thirty nine or forty shows in thirty eight or thirty nine days. Uh she sang on a song with me on uh, uh my old twenty eighteen record when we were animals. Um, we have matching tattoos. That's probably the, we have matching Kyle Canane tattoos. That's the best way to describe my friendship with her. Uh, that one is coming up. Uh, Joe Cardamone, who was the singer for the Icarus line and a, uh, a collaborator with Mark Lanigan. Um, we had a great conversation. He actually just dropped a video for his collaboration with Mark, uh, Skeleton Joe and Dark Mark. And it's, uh, oh uh, it's a beautiful heart-wrenching video um lots of images from Lanigan throughout his career and uh and then I think the last known sort of video footage uh before he passed shot in Ireland and it's uh, a beautiful song and really just an incredibly touching tribute um my friend Roberto Bentivena uh an, you know another another Lanigan crony um, he, uh, he's a screenwriter who wrote, uh, house of Gucci. Uh, he and I had some good adventures together recently. That one will be coming up soon. I, on this Tuesday, I will be going to Tucson, uh, to catch, um, Eve six and my old friend, Jake Flores, who has been opening for Eve six on their national tour, um, Man, I, I've been so scared for Jake going into this that it would just be a fucking nightmare. But, um, it's like the inverse nightmare where he's having such a good time that now I fear for his mental health when the tour is done. And I just talked to Avery Moore, who's going to do a podcast with me, too. Um, uh, Avery Moore is a comic from Austin, Texas, who toured with Jake. Um, and I've sort of met her through JT and Mike Weeby and other people. The, um, how do I put this? The, seeing her touring with Jake. Jake is one of the best comics I know. He's an incredibly smart dude. Um, and, and a very sort of diligent comic. He's trained his brain to work comedy so much, so consistently that he can't turn it off. Um, and seeing seeing him and Avery um, touring together, it was like uh, Michael Phelps and a shark, uh, because Jake is, you know, incredibly gifted and has a sort of uh, more cartilage than the average comedian and works incredibly hard. And Avery Moore is just a freak of nature. Just uh, uh, it's what she was born to do. And um, she, yeah, I love Avery. She's she's so good. Uh, that's going to be a great one. Uh, coming up today, Um, Most of these podcasts have been like old friends, people I know sort of off mic or I know outside of their artwork. Um, I've been a fan of um, Andy Falkes and, you know, his bands, uh, McCluskey, Future of the Left and uh, Christian Fitness Um, since the beginning, maybe 2002. Jesus, 20 years now that I I mean, I really love everything that he does. And we got we sort of got to be um, pandemic buddies Uh, In the last couple of years, um, just uh, first just trading barbs on Twitter and then DMing and then talking about his writing a little bit and then finally sort of having a protracted conversation um, on the podcast. And I I really, I really dig Andy and I'm really like proud of this conversation because I, one of the things that's important to me is sort of to show ways to be a man out of the, I don't know, the four uh village people archetypes that were provided with uh you know fireman indian chief cop and construction worker Mm -hmm. the um and he's a super smart really thoughtful dude um he makes uh you know big screamy music um and seems to do it with uh with joy in his heart you know i mean there's a real love of connection and engagement and uh I think his music is sort of a probe that he sends out into the world to um not just to broadcast but also to receive um really love this conversation i hope you dig it andy how are you what's new um lots of things are
1: new too many things are new um how about you 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 good you knew good or new
0: i i i'm recovering i'm sleepy today i um I have uh, a new puppy, what well, newish, uh, she's almost a year old now. And I got uh, suckered into that thing, the impulse buy at the grocery store yesterday, where I bought like a cartoonishly large dog bone for her that that uh, was actually, it's actually big enough that she was terrified to approach it for maybe 10 minutes. Arrival. And uh, the, and then she, you know, made sweet love to it for hours. And I woke up in the middle of the night to a smell like somebody was deep frying a plate full of shit, and she had just uh, sprayed diarrhea all over ah. the walls of my house, every room the ah. <laughs> and uh and as a father and a cat lover i feel like I feel like you can identify with that 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 fresh hell ah,
1: you know what? i for a couple of reasons personally. Please- as to not humiliate my daughter sometime in the future. <laughs> so, but secondly, because it happens to be true. Apart from, I can think of one hilarious incident in a park, um, and and a little light vomiting. In general, I've got a very, I've got a very um, likely so far. I'm not entirely sure that's happened because that's not normally in my normal wheelhouse of luck. I would normally be expected to be covered in shit morning till dusk.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say you are setting yourself up for uh you know <laughs> yeah. when we wrap this podcast, you'll you'll fall directly um, into I'm, a tank I'm a literally like, uh, I'm
1: literally manifesting woods to touch it at this
0: point. Yes. A, yes. Uh, kind of like a, a Lego under one foot and a cold cat turd under the other.
1: Ah, interesting. Yeah, we're both the Americans, um yeah, the the singular of Lego, a Lego.
0: That's yeah. The is it? Is it plural there or is it?
1: I, you know what? I've never thought about it. But the, just the very fact that you're American um, has made me think it is in some way, some way offends the Queen's English. Um, but I'm sure that isn't the
0: case. The I, so I, I was born in Canada and I always grew up with Lego. And you know, the whenever people referred to it as Legos, I I took particular offense. So yeah, 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 sure. I, I guess that's how I knew I was gonna be a writer and just get <laughs> just get my fucking feelings hurt about people's grammar when it comes to a corporate brand at the, at the heart of it. Yeah, yeah. Know?
1: And that's all it is, really. Yeah.
0: <laughs> But it's not. Hey, uh,
1: everybody needs to feel attached to something. There's yeah. some people, it's homicidal, nationalistic urges. With other people, it's with the other people. It's basically three-dimensional jigsaws with instructions.
0: If if, if we have grown up to be Lego sexuals, then uh, then I say you know hashtag love wins. The we'll let it ride. Yeah. The, the um. So you're in like a flurry of act, of activity. Um, ramping, you're doing a bunch of McCluskey shows right now and then ramping up to a proper Future of the Left US tour
1: No, that's a McCluskey show McCluskey tour. Tour, tour later this year and hopefully there'll be um, a Future of the Left album next year, I mean not to overwhelm with um, like information, but that's pretty much the schedule, um, especially after um, what well, I say after COVID is if it's a, it, purely in the past tense Um, It just felt important to start cracking on with stuff and the easiest stuff to start cracking on with were were McCluskey shows because there's a, just on a practical level, I think this is true for a lot of people who don't necessarily make tons of money. It's whatever you can make happen, the easiest uh, happens. Um and yeah. so in this case we can click the gears of this into place a lot quicker. Most of the songs people like already exist. There's nothing to actually write. So you can just you can just crack on with it, enjoy it. But yeah, in the middle of it, I mean you've you've done some shows as well, and the, the COVID anxieties are real, but it's fun. It's probably 91% as much fun as it usually is, but it, it misses, misses just that little frisson you get from talking to people like human beings.
0: You know? I, um, the, you know, I mean, the way that I know you, the way that you sort of came across my radar was McCluskey uh, played a club that I ran in 2003, 2002, something like that. So um, a million years ago in uh, indie rock time. And the, I don't know, man, I fucking, I miss shows where you woke up smelling like someone else's BO. And I, I feel like so much of that is uh, um, a relic of a bygone era. But I don't know. The, I mean, I feel like the sh- your shows lately have been great.
1: I don't, I don't know. Um, you could say a relic of a, a bygone era, but maybe we're misremembering it. I just, you know, I, I honestly, I'm honestly, I'm honestly not sure if it was like that in the first place. I remember lots of good times, but I remember lots of bad times as well. So yeah. it's very easy to, I guess it's like childbirth. You know, you blank out, uh, blank out the insane memory of the actual pain, and just just remember the the unique feelings of bonding. Um, a lot of it was awful. Um, <laughs> and now, no, really awful. And just, I mean, you know, financial and not financial tensions, financial desperation a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and it just existing in this weird sub world of, of money. Um, and now to actually do it and make you know a little bit of money from it it 's not enough to buy a, a fucking house or something but it's it's enough to exist in a in a first world economy which as a musician feels feels like a real luxury um, it's just so much fun now it's not complicated apart from apart from sorting out uh, van travel or whatever or booking hotels not the the actual process of doing the music just isn't complicated at all.
0: The it's funny you know the um, when I was seventeen and I knew everything about life and music and touring <laughs> and the economy the um, and I you know I was like whatever Steve Albini drunken Steve Albini purist you know I would uh, I'd be like all those fuckers you know cashing in on McCluskey the right. but what you, what you said so articulately of just there being fewer obstacles there yeah. and the um, and knowing what I now know about like rock and roll economics. I'm like the, I'm worried for you guys, you know, the, um, you know especially like looking at the, uh, look at the U S dates, the, you know, some long drives there. I, I realize you're, it's the, it's the anniversary of uh, McCluskey do Dallas and you're 20, not 20
1: years. Yeah. And
0: you're not playing Dallas. Is that, was that just,
1: well, the, is that you a, can see uh, that as, you could see that as delicious irony or something, but it really isn't. It's it's simply practical. I've played Dallas twice, once as McCluskey and once as Future the Left, and the turnout was very, very poor indeed. You know, oh. you're talking like 12 and 20 maybe. Yeah. When you've done that, and you've got to have a little bit of faith sometimes to play in uh, places you haven't played before, or maybe... In all these years, things have turned around. I mean, we've sold more tickets already in cities like New York and Chicago than we ever sold as a band originally. Already, but when you've when you've lost that much money for a promoter in a particular city, they're not super eager to get you back. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, to say to say the least. So, yeah, I, I, it would be fine, but we would largely met with indifference in Dallas. It wasn't the place in which I felt I could flourish.
0: The you know the, the little that I I know about um, the the Welsh sense of humor as if it were a singular thing you know the, well, let me
1: let me stop the... you before you continue because I'm not actually Welsh so You're... but but I'm from I'm from the northeastern England I'm from oh, okay newcastle the, um... but I did live in Wales for 24 years okay and, and if, even though people would would tell you otherwise they are effectively the same place um, just with different accents and the welsh like rugby but that's really the only that's really the only substantive differences between the places
0: the well it, it seemed it seemed a very particular joke to set up a, to set up a 20-year joke of the we're not you know not playing the city named in the yeah um, that would
1: be you know was like you know I can play the long game, but not the the you know the if, if the game you're playing if you're trolling people over decades
0: <laughs>
1: uh, that's a that's a master troll, isn't it? You're like, like yeah, man, yeah, full respect to you, full respect. To
0: you. It's you know it's funny when I um before I had toured around the UK, the I imagined it to be um a little bit like. Uh, well, I mean, obviously a little bit like, uh, you know, train spotting and then a little bit like Braveheart where it was just all the, the different warring clans. And, yeah. and then. Yeah.
1: But, the, but also everybody was Scottish. In your, oh yes. Yeah. The, well, uh,
0: and uh, actors wearing wraparound shades, uh, the, um, <laughs> but, um, uh, it's, it's so funny because I think Americans, you know, when they envision the UK, they, they think about all these different sort of like warring factions, the, um, but the truth is uh, very, very few people in the UK are from where they live. And everybody seems to drink together at the pub happily unless there's a game on, which is that seems to be sort of universal to Western culture. We all get along unless, unless it's sports.
1: Unless it's unless It's, sport. it's, it's weird because I, I think of the UK as quite a fractured place. But then again, that's because I'm here. And when, you, you, when you're anywhere and you're kind of submerged in its politics a bit, you don't you don't take in or hear lots of good news, do you? You know, right? It's never well. It's not a news item uh, today. There was n- there were no riots in in Philly. You know, oh, congratulations. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, there's no positive reinforcement going on. But yeah, Br- Br- being British—that's a. I think being American is obviously a, a conversation liberal Americans have with themselves. But I think being British is kind of. Uh, Maybe a bit not deeper than that, but it's it's been going on for longer, I suppose. And there's far more there's far right. more guilt involved in it. I think you guys will catch up with the guilt. Um, I hope so. We're fucking. I don't get me wrong, but it's a, it's we're a setting the guilt.
0: stage to feel incredibly guilty.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, you guys are you are pushing pushing the but but there's still quite a bit of catching up to do to the British Empire. You know, we we really did. Um, I, I don't know. We, we achieved on so many different levels. That would be one hugely selective way of looking at it.
0: I, I appreciate your faith in us to to do enough wrong shit to eventually. The thing is, you guys have got the work off. ethic.
1: That's what, that's what you've got.
0: That's why I <laughs> when it comes, to, when it comes to war crimes and uh, the the ruthless agglomeration of money in the, in the hand, or money and power in the hands of the people who should least have it. Yeah, yeah, no. but you no,
1: know, you guys are even better or worse, depending on how you look at it, <laughs> um, at that than we were. Because with with Britain, there is, and it's it's ingrained in the British character. It's there is a certain idleness to Britain, a certain um, we we've been there. W- what due us, you know? Whereas I think at everything, including being grifting motherfuckers, you know, I, I can o- I can only see success, only podium placings for the USA. Yeah.
0: One of the things that I really appreciated about the UK when I went over there for the first time when I was uh, 27, 28, the, no, I guess it was later than that, like 31, maybe the, is that um, I found that the British drank with a sense of despair of like, it's over, like we lost, you know, that there was this uh, sort of tragic um, poison nostalgia you know the, and I identified with that beautifully, and it just it like resonated in my heart because I felt, I felt as a man in his early 30s that I was finished.
1: Yeah, you finished, done. Well, you thing is, you were, and you have continued to have been done ever since, and that's true of all of us. I wouldn't say. You see, you're saying that's typical of the British. I think that's typical of people anywhere, unless they've gone out to a karaoke bar. Although, well, if I was at a karaoke bar, despair would only be the beginnings of it. <laughs> but, but, um, you know, I, I think Irish people drink with a certain fatalism. Certainly yeah. the, the, the Welsh, and I realise you're talking about the British, they're only really happy if they're being cheated, like if they're being cheated out of something at the last minute by the English, then they feel completely at home, you know, that because that's their natural state. There was a, a football championships a few years ago where they got to the semi-finals, and honestly, they didn't know what to do with themselves because they were just being successful, and being successful wasn't a part isn't a part of that narrative. You could see it around you. They couldn't couldn't really embrace success. They were waiting to be cheated, you know. Um,
0: anyway. <laughs> Okay, this is really interesting to me because the, I mean, what we're talking about is um, happiness, feeling security in your identity, regardless of what it is. And unhappiness is when your identity is taken from you. You know, mm-hmm. the, a friend of mine was a very committed uh, social worker, you know, working in sort of uh, child health and welfare. So you can imagine his pretty fucking grim job. Oh, and yeah, he, sure. yeah, you know, no he time. finally, Yeah, he finally retired after, you know, years in the trenches and and just encountering just a horror show shit. And uh, a couple of weeks after he retired, he had like a fucking crisis. And it's because, you know, he no longer um, he no longer is who he was. And the and his life has gotten infinitely easier in a million different ways. And to sort of the
1: And, and frankly, he's probably given everything he could have possibly given
0: you know oh dude i've been i've been begging him to retire for years you know i was like you've done enough man you know at what point are you going to be satisfied that you've given back to um the community the culture um humanity um are you do you need to burst into flames or you know dissolve um the but yeah yeah. you know the and it's and it's so interesting to hear you say um uh the definition of welsh is being cheated by the british because the um when i lived in new york there was by the, Eng-
1: by the english there is just that yeah that that i don't know hint of i don't know don't get me wrong that's certainly not every welsh person but i th- i just think it's something the the glorious defeat is something which permeates that that self-identity
0: uh-huh the um One of the things living in New York, you you encounter all this like sort of very specific um, cultural racism and judgments that people make upon different groups. And, uh, you know, a big thing is uh, ask versus acts. And it's tacit racism, basically, the, you know, um, positing that African-Americans evolved language wrongly. Where language has always just been by the popular vote, you know the um and I read something the other day online which um where they were talking about uh you know uh, fisk versus fish that it was just they were refer, it referred to the same thing, but eventually fish won out instead of fisk, and the um ask and axe are um you know parallel evolutions of the same word, but the but that acts is acts belongs in our language because it identifies a very specific thing which is african american asking african american imploring and when i when i read that and i finally got it holy shit man it just fucking depressed the shit out of me the you know to think about the legacy behind that short one syllable word and what it means and for how long I had missed it
1: sure yeah but I think to me you see there's two stages to that though because say if you were I don't know if you were somewhere where you'd never heard somebody say ax or whatever and then you actually heard it it, just as a just as a a regular human being on the earth at first that's going to sound jarring to you and you're going to look for reasons why that's not right? I suppose that's mm-hmm. how you know. That's how you come into the... It's very few people who just hear new things and go straight away. Brilliant! That's the way it is. Great. So I think it's 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 okay to have a little chat with your prejudices and then get over them. I suppose you know. I think I, I think of a lot of I don't know a, a lot of a lot of times people adopt things straight away. It's sometimes just a question of seeing it with that slightly different angle, like you say it being pointed out to you that it's they were competing words. This isn't just a, um, a fabrication. Uh, yeah.
0: A, it's, yeah. it's not, um, and it's not a, a memo from language headquarters where they're like, Oh, it's, it's Lego, not Legos. You fucking idiots. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good old language headquarters. Those guys, they can, they can churn out the, they can churn out the memos. Can't Boy, they, they
0: were know? up late last night. The, uh, <laughs> Um, I want to talk a little bit about your music. God forbid we actually talk about your music and not just cultural prejudice. The, (laughs) I, you know, I've been, I'm, I'm a huge fan. The, I loved McCluskey as soon as I heard it. And then I loved future of the left more. And, uh, I saw one of your shows in Williamsburg and you were just, uh, in between songs, you were just shitting on the way that Brooklyn smelled. And I was like, I, I like this man. I enjoy this man. To be fair,
1: though, That place really did stink of fish.
0: <laughs> you, rem- <It> really <laughs> you remember You <particularly>, remember that game? <laughs> I mean,
1: I think it was particularly a kind of fish bar or fish place. And I, I'm not a fan of the fish in general. And it really did particularly hum. I wasn't just saying, hey, Brooklyn, you, you guys are, are rich in omega-3. It was, yeah. it was this literally stinks of rotting fish.
0: I can't believe you remember that one.
1: Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, how could I not? It was quite a small, quite a small place. Quite, I remember it's quite a narrow stage. I'm not uh, sorry. a a Shallow stage. I'm not a fan of it. I can deal with a narrow stage, but I don't like a shallow stage. I like Uh to be able to step back without feeling as if I'm going to collide with a drum kit. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things to do on stage. It's to, it's to, we played the, the, the other day and the stage, you can literally take five or six steps back and then forward. And I'm just like a pig in shit. If I've got a stage, I can move <laughs> around and I'm not moving around to perform particularly, I just like to walk around like you would do with a, any room. You know? Yeah. Um, the,
0: uh, the, the feng shui of the stage.
1: <laughs> the, <laughs> the fun, the, the feng shui of the, uh, of the modern rock stage volume, volume 14
0: by ikea the um, <laughs> there is there is a great photo of you guys playing at uh williamsburg music hall where the the mic stand is it is it appears to be sort of reaching for you like a tendril and then you're uh reaching uh as if to i don't know to kiss it to eat it to uh, i mean to shout at it obviously but it's the it's the sort of you know michelangelo and david you know reaching out the
1: well, I, I don't think i've i don't think i've seen that I
0: don't yeah think we I've are seen. joined by spit The um, um,
1: it was that was a a, the the um that Williamsburg Hall of uh, Music um uh, show was particularly that was that was uh with Kelson in the band, so that would have been 2007 or 8, I think. But that that was a very it's a very memorable show. It's a bit of a shame, really, because you do remember you know the grimy shows where you could catch diseases from every every single surface, but there is undeniably when you're a band to where you don't play lots of big shows, when you do play like a big room, it does, it just feels like more of an event and not just for the, not just for the band, but for the audience as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a sense of a sense of occasion. So,
0: yeah. I, I remember you guys seeming uh, really comfortable during that show. I had no idea that that was a larger show for you and the, and, and people fucking loved it, man. We were into it. It was the, it was, you know, I, I approach it with that mix of sort of delight and despair that, um, everybody likes a band. I like now, you know, that I was uh, both happy that there were people there and that they had sort of like finally gotten it. And also I'm like, man, fuck you guys. The, th- there should be 50 people here. The
1: yeah. There is that, there is that sense. I uh, know You know, there can be that sense where it's more special, but I don't know. Having, haven't played maybe a support of like big shows like three thousand people i genuinely don't enjoy the experience of of that that's just too much there's uh maybe it works for music with a certain timbre or whatever to to be able to go out but at, at the stage where i can't make out individual faces because um, even bigger shows are weirder. If there's over five or 600 people in a crowd, I basically don't talk to the crowd because you can't... You've gone past the point of proper funny little interactions because you'll say something to someone, someone will shout something out, and also for a lot of people at the back of the room, they don't fucking know what's going on anyway. Um, and so... Uh, you, those smaller shows can be more special and do more of the, you know. I mean, you actually do stand up. I don't, but I'm capable of. As is probably fucking apparent right now, I'm capable of just talking, yeah. um, and that works really well at small shows. But bigger shows, just forget it. The bigger shows are pretty much like just light like entertainment hour. Here's some songs. Enjoy the songs, but they're no less they're no less special for it. Really.
0: I. Counterpoint. Um, I do remember being at a show at uh St. Vitus in oh, yeah. Yeah. Greenpoint, yeah. and the house lights were alarmingly bright. And the I can't remember if it was you or the bass player, um, but there was a an amorous young lady in the crowd, and I am a uh large, fun, loving shithead, and we started making out and uh <laughs> y'all took issue with that i got got fucking called out from the stage uh, yeah the yeah i was um and i get it i mean it's uh it's it was disgusting. It's gauche. Uh, um, I always One of the things that I was always like, you know, when uh, when rednecks were taking issue with it, you know, a gay couple holding hands or expressing affection for each other. Um, everybody thought that it was so repellent that they would say that. And I was like, well, why don't we just ban it for fucking everybody? Because I don't want to see like some bro making out with this girlfriend either. The uh but yeah, being subject to your uh your scrutiny and mockery, the I still hey, crin- um, I cringe in my heart, Andy. What what can I what can I say? A, I
1: don't remember that. <laughs> I in, could, okay. I I genuinely don't. And I do remember a lot of this stuff. No, I wouldn't say most, because you know, obviously over the years, I'm sure you're the same, you've got just things you say just uh, automatically without even thinking about it. Yeah. Um if I'm ever particularly distracted, somebody says something stupid. You'll just go, "Dad," you know. That's it just works. Just it, it, it never fails. Yeah. And if you're in Glasgow and you get stuck, which is all the time, uh, <laughs> you just they just say things and you go, "No, nope, that's just noise," you know, or you you just say, oh, "I'm sorry, I don't have my Glaswegian translating app on my phone or whatever," which is a joke, but is also true because. Scottish people shouting things at you is simultaneously incredibly sexy and very confusing, <laughs> so, you know, the, which, is, which is maybe the highest state of sex. I don't know, but
0: um, I, I, I've Scotland is a great place to go if you want to feel like you have aphasia because just the you know talk. And I have some great friends there, and I love Scotland. I've only ever had a great time there, but every time I'm there, I feel like, am I just? Am I? Am I just? Is dementia finally claiming me? Because this, I can see your mouth moving and sounds are coming out, but this isn't the language.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, no! I. Uh, the thing is, um, I, I think, um, I'm specifically talking about when it's shouted at me from a crowd. Yeah. I've got just about the. I've got just about an even chance of making out a heckle from a from a person from from England or most of the states, but a Scottish heckle is just. It could be anything, really. It could be, could be anything from a takeaway order to the launch codes. I just, <laughs> you know, I just, I just, I just don't know. But I love, I love Scotland in general. In fact, it's such a beautiful place. It just, if it, if it wasn't so fucking cold, it would be a, an amazing place to live. But it is so cold, and a Scottish wind just—it winds like no other. Really, it, it really, it, it finds, finds joins in your clothes that you didn't even know we're there and it wends its way in and it's oh it it kills you
0: well and 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 the scots love it the i i remember the we had a tour manager who was uh scottish and the f- the first night of the tour he got a chunk of his fucking ear bitten off in a fight and i, I will always respect him for that that was just like i was like man i love it when clichés like just come through for me like that but uh we you know we th- we had stayed like the night before in some shitty you know drafty hotel and got no sleep and that we were going back to his house and his lovely wife carol like you know made Food for us, and the and then you know when she showed me to my room, she was like, you know, I open I open the window for you, so you have some fresh air. And I went in there and it was just like, a fucking wind tunnel, just bitter cold. It's like no, this is you know, letting- lovely to
1: have those experiences like of what people consider normal. I mean, you know, I'm I'm from the northeast of England, and I'm married to an Australian, so sometimes if I walk into the room where she's working, it's just you know the glasses. Is- the glasses steam up, and not from unearthly delights, from the fact that it's thirty odd degrees Celsius in there, and straight away. I mean, sometimes the heating goes on here in June and July, which is just crazy. But the risk—I know I'm kind of doing my mother-in-law material here, but it's—but uh, <laughs> but, it's—it's uh, definitely true. The, the 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 clash. Although you you do, I mean, I move from the northeast is quite cold, whereas. Uh, further the south in, in Britain, it's not so cold, but I've definitely acclimatized over the years. When I go to the northeast now or Scotland, it is like being attacked by a weather system, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy it.
0: At this point in my life, most of my friends have podcasts, and it's uh, it's disgusting and it's despicable, and it always feels so weird for me to. Uh, <laughs> To listen to them shilling for other companies, uh, this protein shake, uh, this uh, th- this laundry warehouse or whatever. The but the only thing worse than that is that what I'm doing right now is I'm recording a commercial for my stuff to uh, to try to get you to to buy my things. Um, so the the first thing I want to do is if you're listening, if you're enjoying this podcast, share it with a friend. Um, you know, please obviously post it to your social media. Please rate and review it on uh, iTunes or whatever the hell this is. Podcasts. I don't know. The, whatever the Apple platform is. Um, but also just send it to a friend. If, it's, if you got something out of this conversation, if it's helpful to you, if you've found something useful there or funny or entertaining, um, if you get a kick out of it, if I have a guest coming up that you think a friend is going to enjoy, please just share this with a friend. Um, also, I'm shilling for my new book, uh, The Long Run and Other Stories. Uh, which collects all my best-selling Kindle singles and some other bonus material, um, a couple of love letters for uh, for Lanigan. Um, I'm selling them directly, uh, 30 bucks through my Venmo um, post paid anywhere in the U.S. Um, and I'm forcing myself to just read some of the blurbs from the back because I got um, some really incredibly kind blurbs from some of my heroes. Um, here's one from Lanigan. Mishka Shabali is a king. His stories read like a crazy quilt of heartbreaking honesty and ball-busting comedy. I mean, Lannigan knew how to f- write the fucking shit out of a blurb. and Just, just hit it, hit it hard, and get out. Um, here's another one I'm going to double up today, because they're short. Here's one from Bert Kreischer. Mishka Shabali is not only my favorite author, but he is also my favorite singer-songwriter. He writes the kind of prose that gets stuck in your head for an entire weekend. He has such an amazing way with words kind words from uh an amazing comic and uh you know one of my musical heroes um yeah please buy the book and thanks for listening so when i was sort of like preparing for this to to talk and catch up i went back and tried to listen to a bunch of stuff from Um, McCluskey future of the left, uh, Christian, you know, Christian fitness, which I, I love. Thank you for that record. The, um, and in hopes of, I don't know, finding a thing to present to you. And I, I, what I need to tell you is, um, I'm, I was disappointed to find that it is uniformly of high quality.
1: We're, you, were you looking for we're you looking for flaws. We're you looking for the uh... well,
0: something to talk about. But you know, or the you know, um, I I do feel that we are friends. The last um, last year and a half, like you, really have been a friend to me, and I'm so grateful to you for that. And I never want I like being a fan. I never want to forget that I came to this uh, as a fan um from seeing you guys play and just having like like that old uh Maxell tape commercial of just having like my fucking hair blown back and being like this is <laughs> this is so this is so fantastic you know the um but uh you you have made so many fucking good records have you considered leaving them for someone else to make a couple of good records <laughs> there too well, like well, jesus your output has been tremendous
1: well well that's very kind of you but i i just really love and more so over the years even though it's got more difficult for certain logistical reasons like having a kid especially with the person i'm in a band with um but i just love i just love it so much I love making music. I, I like listening to music. Like I like, that's what I'm saying like a lot. Um, <laughs> dancing around the, the the kitchen with my daughter, listening to Devo or the Ghostbusters theme. Or she really she's nearly five, so the Ghostbusters theme is is a big favorite in this house. Or you know, or uh, the Bare Necessities. We listen to that pretty much on a loop. I try try and intersperse the Bare Necessities with Raining Blood. Really. Um, <laughs> really mess with really, really mess with the development um but i just love making music still that moment where a song comes together where one element meets another element and suddenly something's wrong but it's right it's just pure like that that to me increasingly is still it's really difficult for me when i write a song not to immediately go online and tell everyone how much i love music i i lo- cuz i i honestly i those moments are just irre- irreplaceable
0: that's that's one of the things that's um i think pervasive in your music is that it's i mean it's funny because it's the it's the kind of music that like if my father were to hear 30 seconds of a song or something you know in in his head he would maybe compare you to uh like clutch or uh or deftones or sort of you know the sure. yeah, a, yeah, sure. a, a certain stripe of um i don't know shithead misogynistic white boy downer uh scuzzy rock but there is i you know i was trying to describe your music to somebody the other day and i said it was sort of like a uh joyful birthday party the
1: almost um, yeah yeah sure it, it's meant to be as i mean the Birthday Party were a band I started off listening to, and I would say that you know The Birthday Party are probably closer to what you might call a noise rock band because they're not they're not obsessed with songs, are they? It's it's sounds and it's atmospheres as much and, and tones and textures for them, whereas all of those stuff really come to me accidentally, and I just try and write songs. That's what drives. That kind of drives what I do, but yeah, happy. It is meant to be. It is meant to be joyful. It doesn't always sound that way. Some people think there's a there's an anger there, and I suppose the, there is fueling it on one level. Bonsai, oh, we've, we've got we've got cat number two getting involved now. Oh, yeah. Bonsai, can I just can you come here? Don't be scared. Come on. Now. How long have we known each other? It's a little Bonsai. She's such a little sweetie.
0: I, I, I love it. The, I thought about, I thought about doing something, of podcats something, but it's too neat, too tidy of a play. The, but um, cats have been a, a, uh, a reliable ingredient in the, the best ones that I've recorded. The um, one, you know, one of the songs that has always sort of stuck up out to me is the beginning of uh, arming Eritrea. And it, it, it feels like you're, Speaking directly to a thirteen-year-old, the and well, you know
1: what that's 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 a weird one that because that's one of the songs where I could probably talk about what those lines suggest to me without being able to necessarily tell you what the song is about. And I mean, what what happens a lot when when I write is I'll the, the, a character will be saying some things. And those things get said, and then a perspective changes it's it's always about it's it's about the songs which are really good usually are the songs which are about something without being about- without being about them you know so um i mean yeah so it's it's saying a thing, it's giving a perspective a uh exhibiting a mindset i suppose but not not to literal truths i mean that's a wanky way of looking at it but it's pretty much it
0: i mean not not to get too woo about it but i i do feel with your writing that it it feels unconscious it doesn't feel doesn't feel thought out like you're sitting there with a thesaurus like i i'm gonna write about you know this uh, conflict in the Falkland Islands you know whatever the just that it's um you know your consciousness is is like a, a squid just sort of shuttling through the darkness and you just sort of drop into different characters yeah. heads or voices and, and then dip out
1: and sometimes it goes a bit too far and it's incomprehensible and sometimes it doesn't go far enough and it's maybe a little bit too much on the nose that's the so, see what, what what I try and do is just let it all spill out unselfconsciously, and then you go back and look at it and go, right, how is how is that? You know, um, I can think of a couple of occasions where I've sat down to actually write words about a thing. Um, that worked a couple of times, but a couple of the times, yeah, it ended up being. Sometimes you you play a song back and you're like, oh yeah, war's bad. Is it Falco? Remember, (laughs) war war is bad. Yeah. War is bad. Okay. you know what I mean? Sometimes it's, sometimes it's so on the nose, it's just a nose. And you don't, you, you don't, you don't really need to say it. So.
0: Yeah. The, you know, that was one of the things that I, um, I really appreciated about Lanigan is that he could, he could write a song, um, comparing tears and rain and I would hear it and marvel at it and be like wow that's wow that's so you know that's so compelling and it's it's the most cliche fucking thing ever but for whatever reason he um he was damaged enough or he had enough gravitas and the the weight of experience that he um it's like instead of you know looking at it from the bottom up he looked at it from the top down or sideways or something like that where you your experience as a listener was you were seeing him see it for the first time the so it became you know it became new the but um what
1: what you're describing is the the brilliance of a performance basically like uh you know the somebody i think being swept along by their own realizations um you know um but but yeah, I mean, I think it helps when you've got a voice like his though, as well, doesn't it? You can't just 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 naturally. I mean, gravit you know gravitas um, gravitas is just uh, weighed weighed upon that voice, isn't it? I um,
0: I'm not. I, I don't like Josh Om, um, or I don't think that I do. So I'm reluctant to attribute anything positive to him. But at the service, he said, and he, this is so spot on like i'm just envious of it he said he said about Lanigan's voice you know uh he sang about toothpaste it made me want to brush <laughs> and, and it's like oh god fucking damn it i i wish i thought of that first because it's you know it's it's totally right on that's yeah. a good line. i mean
1: i don't have an opinion on on the guy either either way uh, but that's a that's that's a good line he wants to uh, wants to write that down and put it in a in a big book of things i want
0: to be remembered for <laughs> The, uh, what's happening with your writing these days? Are you still laboring away on the book? I'm
1: still still doing it. I mean, I put it on pause for a few months while I was sorting out a lot of band things as well as sorting out lots of other life things, Um, you know, child things, family illness things. Um, But I'm kind of getting back into it and just really enjoying it more than anything. Just remembering to enjoy it. And uh, not not treating it as something which has to be done. It's not like eating your veg, you know, eat your vegetables, so then you can eat your steak. It's it's really really enjoying it, and sometimes that I think is a mindset you have to create for yourself. Um yes. I certainly do. But I, but I, I think I've created that mindset to such a point where I'm just pretty much always enjoying it, even when it's just seven hundred words a day. So. And I think it, I think it's good. And previous things I've written, I've enjoyed writing. I've enjoyed the process. Um, probably they probably weren't good enough for anything much beyond that, really. Apart from being encouraging. But with this thing, I'm pretty I'm pretty confident that enough people will like it to justify its existence. That doesn't sound like exactly a grand plan. <laughs> But, uh, but that's pretty much how I feel about it because your own love for a thing justifies its existence i think
0: that's that's a great way of putting it the uh, i I have to tell you that when you told me that you were starting to write a book i my first reaction was, like, "Oh God, you fool you you poor <laughs> fool the because my 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 view of writing is so low these days the, because I've had the luxury to to be able to write you know I've, that I've written. Or been able to write or been encouraged to write had people read my writing for a lot of my life, so now it feels like uh drudgery, and I need to um i need to I need to knock that off the
1: right well I- it's good to know when you've got to knock something off yeah, I think you know it's 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 good to know it's good to call yourself up before other people have to i think
0: it's the it's funny i am moving into my sort of crazy cat lady years because the it's like every morning i look at my dog and my cat you know the and my dog is you know it's there's this thing that happened you know of that happens for us of you know it's sort of like we die each night and we're born again each morning and watching my dog wake up in the morning she's like she sort of opens her eyes and looks at her paws and she's like fuck yeah a dog again like fuck yeah you know and she's just <laughs> she's, wrote, uh,
1: yes they wrote, they rolled the dice overnight and i got a six
0: again yeah, just, and again. every morning she, just, she wakes up like that just you know the looking in the mirror and being like hell yeah you know and um it's so antithetical to how i feel but i'm trying to I'm trying to learn from my dog andy i
1: think i think for me i had a big a formative experience probably about 10 10 years ago, and I don't mean in a park, uh, with a a, a guy (laughs) dressed as Batman. Um, I was working with a lady who was really lovely, and she she was a gorgeous woman, but she was so negative. I've always had a propensity towards negativity, but I've always believed, at least in myself, that my, you know, being quite funny occasionally balanced it out. Um, and that may well have been the case, but it certainly wasn't always the case. Um, but working with somebody who was otherwise lovely, who was so negative, just, I'm not saying it changed me, but it definitely altered something and, you know, tipped me a couple of degrees in a certain direction, because um, you don't, you don't want to be around people who make you feel bad. Why would you want to be? It's very basic human psychology, things which make you feel bad uh, you don't want to be. You don't want to be around them. Um, and so, as lovely as she was, it was very formative of me. And I, I, I feel as if I learned dramatically from that moment. Um, and happily, though, I'd say that that hasn't really informed my music. It still basically sounds the same. So maybe I was pretending to be more positive than I actually was.
0: The um, there's some things in life that we we can't figure out on our own. We have to see it on another person. You know, the, if you, if you think about like an arrow, I was going to say an arrowhead necklace, you know, like, Oh, that's cool. You know, somebody made it by hand and like, Oh, like, you know, leather, like that's, you know, really sort of, you know, and then you see a guy wearing, you're like, for fuck's sake, man. Oh my God. What, what was I considering the, I, uh, one thing that I pick up a lot in your music. This, uh, this band idols, I, I like them. I think they're great. I think they're really enjoyable. And they have a song that, um, uh, I think it's, uh, uh, or something that, you know, and they're talking about consent and right. the, and I have a, I have a sort of a sticky relationship with that song because I absolutely believe in consent. And I think it's something that people should, I think, it, I think it's, um, integral. I think it's essential. I think it's something people should people talk about and support openly the, um, and not have it be like a dull classroom thing from your, um, you know, that your nurse comes to talk about, you know, once in seventh grade, however, it's not, it doesn't feel it, uh, doesn't feel like a primary emotion or a primary concern. You know, the, all the shit that I write about is like love and death and regret and desire. And the, It's so, I mean, maybe it's a tertiary concern, the, but one of the things that I feel looking at your body of work and sort of experiencing a a bunch of your music over the years in a couple of days leading up to this is that there does seem to be, um, yeah, and I say, I say, this as a compliment. Then I hope you take it in that way is that a lot of your music is awesome. Gym rock, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, energetic. Yeah the and yeah, no, you know that's, that's yeah that's it I'm I'm a bit of a I'm a a little bit I'm still caught up with being 12 usually at that age my favorite song on the album would always be the fast song yeah that would be my two favorite songs would be the two fast songs i mean very just you want that speed you want that excitement and still to this this day i'm still not a huge fan of the song which plods although. I don't oh. know if you find this yourself certainly playing for us. I mean, uh, with Jack, when I write a fast riff, he's always like, uh, Jack's our drummer to nobody knows. He's always like, oh, man, I don't like the fast ones. They're so, they're so <laughs> tiring. And you're like, well, if this sounds good, I'm like, well, why don't you deliberately play a bad beat and this sounds bad, And then we can go back to all this slow rumbling Tom stuff you like, because you can eat a risotto, then get on stage and play it. (laughs) He did that once. He had a risotto just before going on stage, and it was like playing with a polar bear or something.
0: (laughs) You're Um, looking for that drummer full of cheese sound.
1: Yeah. Hey, why don't we fill you full of... Of an ex- kind of an expanding pasta rice and put you directly on stage, so <laughs> you can you can place you can slow down in the middle of parts because you because your body is trying to digest food. Um, so I, I think most most musicians uh, come come to terms with that quite early on in their touring career. They'll they'll have a big meal just before a show because of some logistical fuck up and yeah. end up vomiting something over a stage.
0: Yeah. yeah the i've i've experienced many in oniony microphone the um but, the, but lyrically it's um it's interesting to 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 go through a lot of your music in one chunk because it does feel like um great music to to run to to lift to to hit shit to but there does seem to be a sustained uh, critical investigation of maleness and masculinity and um, that there is
1: I think there is and but the most compelling or the most interesting part of that is it's definitely not deliberate right so so um although that's not true sometimes like the feature that left album travels with myself and another was was kind of not explicitly but there was definitely a uh, focus you could see to it um, but in general in general yeah this that's definitely a thing it must I suppose be something which greatly interests me because it's it's not there all the time but it's it's often there um, uh, about you know mockery of mockery of men or the idea of of self or you know and also what it means to be to be a, a man in a, in a time where it's you know there's lots of very conflicting ideas about it <laughs> and it's, it's it's very interesting i i think anyway um i really don't like laddie and many men like you know violence violent people i'm not not really talking about that that side of it it's more just the way you uh you know where where men currently exist i suppose this is just as this is coming to me because at no point were a bunch of songs written around some some formula yeah
0: i mean it it doesn't feel like a thematic album or um oh we got to put our one our you know the two songs on this record that are you know critical of men or interrogating masculinity or whatever the but it i mean it um i mean that's the the meaningful way that patterns arise is when they're not scheduled or programmed when it just, you know, when it just happens, um, organically the, but I don't know the, I'm curious as to where it comes from, if you know where it comes from. And also the, I think it's meaningful because you are, um, I I remember when Nirvana in the 90s, you know, came out, you know, they wrote rape me and then they came out with, you know, the statement of, you know, if, um, you know, if you're uh, if if you're anti women, if you're anti gay, like don't come to our shows, don't, you know, listen to our songs Mm -hmm. and that that never stopped a bunch of like. Uh, shirtless bros with backwards baseball hats on you know chanting along to rape me or something at a fucking basketball game the mm. so we in some ways you know sort of sonically or orally we don't have any We we can't dictate the oh what this this drum beat means or what this the what the fuzz bass means or whatever the and you can't steer those you know, there is no, we, we found no frequency yet to steer those fucking animals away from the music that we no. make. The, well, but well, I, yeah,
1: I, I don't know. <laughs> I think in terms of what you're saying, I, I don't think that's exactly true because it's, 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 it's the size of the band that does it. When basically wow. you're a band of, I can think of conflicts we've had in our, in our bands over the years, but it's really not that many, and it's because the crowds are generally, generally speaking music crowds because they're not particularly big. So certainly regionally for me, I've noticed um, when you go to shows, say in Cardiff, if there's more than 300... If there's fewer than 300 people in the audience, every single person there might be a musician and their partner. Every yeah. single... Right. But once you get above that level, you get the kind of people who maybe would only go to four shows a year or something something they've happened here on the radio and you do get that there was this band I went to see um a friend of mine liked them a band called The Joy Formidable I was quite disappointed I thought for ages I thought they were called The Joy Formidable but it wasn't it was the Joy <laughs> but anyway, not that I'm pati- like a Franker Franker um, <laughs> on any file but it was just that's what I thought they were called so I was a bit disappointed when I found out it wasn't the case. But anyway, went to see it and it was in a venue in Cardiff called the Globes. Maybe 400 people there, and the crowd had slightly different energy to like a local show as normal. And then about halfway through the the show, and bear in mind I've never heard anybody shout anything like get your tits out the Julia or whatever. That's literally never happened. Mm. Or if it has happened, I'd be, I'm, I'm unaware of it because here I am at liberty. You know? <laughs> um, but but um, uh, it, this guy went, the singer's called uh, Roxy, I think she's called. And in this weird, like, chitty, chitty, bang, bang, barra boy kind of voice, which is a bit weird because in South Wales, but everyone went, yeah, Roxy, give us a smile. And it was like, you know, crowd were like, "Huh? Give us a, give us a, give us a, give us a, give us a smarmy lady." I'm off to the war, ain't I? Like, <laughs> what's what's? It was just, it was. I mean, obviously, infinitely preferable to get your tits out. Yeah. But still, uh, just a moment of, I, d- I don't even know what that is. And like that laddie, like that more laddie entitled energy isn't certainly, isn't certainly isn't something that I'd like to be around on it on a daily basis
0: um, from, from booking bands, you know, we, I mean, and particularly in the early two thousands in New York, you were watching a ton of bands blow up and, you know, so much sort of hype around it there. You would see bands go from um, nobody giving a shit about who they were and what they were doing. And then um, they're being, Interested parties there, you know, twenty people, and then there being, um, then them ha- actually having fans, you know, that they weren't just sort of sampling it. They were like, oh, when we heard the first EP, or I have the first record, or whatever. The, and then at a certain point, it got to a point where the the shows were a place to be seen. They were they were a cultural event, and they became it became more about the crowd than the band itself. You know the. I was talking to Josh Mallerman from a band uh, called the high strung. We were talking about intimacy and performance and, uh, you know, sort of what you and I were talking about, the, the exchange between a performer and the crowd versus broadcasting to the crowd. And the, I stumbled upon this, that, you know, if you go to see fucking uh, Drake, I can't name a single Drake song, but my, that's what my brain called up. You go to see Drake, the, he's tiny. He's incredibly, you know, he's like a little, uh, a little miniature where you go at the Drake show, you end up watching the screen more than you're watching Drake himself. The, so he's small, he's tiny. The bigger Drake gets, the smaller he gets the, you go to see the more distant. He
1: gets like an emperor or something. Yeah.
0: You, you 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 go go to see, then past the, you know, the, mm You you go to see your mate's band, or fucking at our age, you go to see your mates' kids band, the playing their first show or their third show on a Tuesday night, and it's five bucks. The that band is huge. They're they're visibly larger than a big band. The and that's I, I don't know. I've thought about that since we sort of stumbled upon that. The of finding what that what that perfect ratio is of the i mean what you said i think is really smart of being able to being able to see everybody's faces because that, that's what the human brain feeds off of you see two dots and a line it's a face you know the um and then to be at a show where you you don't see everybody's face i mean we yeah, well literally it's too
1: confusing to look out into the crowd you can't just focus on one one face or if you do it's probably probably because you've recognized an ex or something and yeah. You think, hang on, she owes me seventy quid. Um, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, that, I would say there is an ideal, but but there's not. The, undoubtedly, with bigger shows, is just a bigger sense of occasion. But there is again always that disconnect. We did a show um, two weeks ago in the Electric Ballroom in London, like nearly fifteen hundred people, and mm-hmm. it it was it, everything went as well as it could have gone it was incredible but it was still it's it's just more nerve-wracking than playing to 250 people anybody who says that isn't the case is i don't know probably not fully engaging with all of their human emotions i would i would suggest um but but yeah um yeah you it, we definitely haven't done that kind of show enough for any show one uh, one of the good things i think about this a lot with um with music and art in general, I'm, I'm in the, we're talking about writing before I'm in a, a relatively privileged position that I don't need to rely on it for an income. So I can just enjoy it. Um, it's, it's done for, it's like done for its own own sake, but with, um, with the, with, with music and everything, what people I know who are in relatively big bands or bands who have toured a lot, they, they, they still enjoy aspects of it and everything, but, you know, a lot of times they'll have to play sets they're not particularly first with, or uh, the odd song that they've fallen out of love with. I don't really have to... I don't do it often enough for that to be a problem. Yeah. Um, even though there's a couple of songs in the set which I rinse before we play them, you know? I'm like, this is, this is a bad song. Objectively, it's bad. If you enjoy it, in a way, you're, you're the problem. You know, um, you say that stuff, and you just you just go with that. And you know, I, I I don't know. There's a little bit of truth in what I'm saying there. But what I'm saying is, we we get to play 20 songs, our 20 songs, 35 times a year, and and it's great. And that's it. <laughs> and it's so amazing that it's that simple, as well. Like there's no. Um, even though we are writing stuff when we get the chance, I think when you're younger and you're doing something, particularly something as explicitly aggressive as being in a band, you're doing something and you're hoping that you're doing a show and you hope that somebody sees you at the show and you get to do another show, or that gets reviewed in a thing, so then there's a thing, whereas... And you're still living in the moment because it's rock music, but now it's just 100% in the moment. It's the whole... The the, the entirety of it is in the moment. And it and it, it makes, frankly, for a more sober band because you want to be entirely present to enjoy it. Um, I mean, we're not the biggest drinkers anyway, but it's it's almost dropped off the map because we want to be there there for the whole experience as opposed to getting through the experience maybe which might have been the case when it was a bit a bit a bit bit younger um but yeah it's um it's it's loads of fun when uh,
0: when i was a kid you know thinking about rock and roll shit you know and uh fireworks displays and um the having a lot of bandanas tied to the um to the mic stand the, uh you know, I, could, I, would, I would think, you know, man, it would be so awesome to just like to just write one song and then like have it be so huge, you know, and then as you get older, you're like, oh, God, you know, to, uh you know, to be the Jay Giles band and write Angel as a centerfold, like what that that's some Twilight Zone, nightmarish. Uh, purgatory you're living in of just you know playing that song in its entirety all the time everywhere you go you know the oh god well we got to play smoke on the water you know the and now at 45 i think like man to just to like play the indiana state fair and get you know 15 grand just to play angel as a centerfold. Like that, that sounds fucking awesome. The, you know, I would know <laughs> yes, that song yes. backwards and forwards, you know, but
1: the, it, it would sound awesome because of all the other things you would have subsequently gone through in your life. I suppose yeah. that that's, that's why, um, that that's, that's why, I mean, it's, if I had to play, play saber, up and blues, <laughs> 80 times a year, I'd hate it as well. I'd absolutely detest it. But as it is, I play it 35 times a year I don't need to rehearse it it's it's, it's bound into my into my skull bones that's odd use of language um, but um, but it's it, uh, but that's all I have to play it and I only ever do like a weekend and then before we go to the states I wouldn't have sung it for a month so I'll have forgotten if I was bored by it. Which is great. Whereas I remember we toured against me years ago, some of the loveliest people on Earth, but they were touring like 10, 10 and a half months a year or something. Yeah. So that's just, it's it's almost just like a a scientific experiment to see how quickly you can break people.
0: Yeah, it does feel like a um, you know, water torture or some grim, you know, interrogation method, the, I, you know, a lot of times I wish that I had been more successful as a musician younger, you know, to be able to sort of like go out and enjoy it and do the thing. And then also, and then other times the, um, I feel so grateful to have that yearning. You know to still be a little sort of dewy eyed about it, to still feel, um, uh, you know, nostalgia for and and yearning for, like, ooh, you know, the if I had that red guitar and put my foot up on the monitor, that would look, that would look <laughs> awesome, you know, the just dumb, uh, just fan thoughts like that for the fan not to have completely died, you know, to still, I don't know, enjoy discovering a new band. I think honestly, concert. that's
1: something to be treasured. It's some when people. There are people I know, people I was in bands with, people I wasn't in bands with, and they still are very engaged with music, but they don't just love being involved in it anymore. You can just see that. And even though huge elements of making music, I nearly said the music industry, but (laughs) really I'm not involved in the music industry. I book live shows, and when I'm doing live shows, I work for the alcohol industry, really.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean that's that's somewhere where which you just don't even need to go to it because it just causes a a disconnect which ends up with everybody's microchips exploding and then uh, where we we'd be we'd be both dead and having this conversation to people who were also dead. And their, <laughs> laptops would have, their laptops would eventually run out of battery and that would be it. That would be the end of existence. Um, there's a lot of boring admin involved in music. Um, yeah. I often wish that I could earn two, three times what I earn, so I could employ a manager to take care of that. Um, but I don't. And so I do have to deal with the admin side of it. Um, but apart from that, it's just the best. And if you still love it, having been in the belly of the beast and you still love it, then you must, you must really love it. And it's not just musicians, it's people I know like, My friend Adam, who's a DJ, my friend Matt, who uh, has this label and shop. People like that still being in love with it is crucial because those people are so much a part of the ecosystem, particularly of bands are like my size. Bands of my size only ever play to more than 200 people in some place in the States because some record store guy stuck our album on the front of a display 20 years ago. You know, it's the and and ha- kept hammering on about the band. That's the only yeah. reason we really exist in that in that town, um, and that that those kind of moments are really special. You play shows now, and the most special shows are the most you know the most special shows. People are in, in tears sometimes because it means it means that much to them. You know what? It's really it's really lovely, although you can only indulge tears for about five seconds. You're like. Listen, you're right, but I'll start crying too. Neither of us want that. I need to stay in character. So let's let's crack let's crack the hell on. But it's yeah. so special. It's it's really great that you still have that. Um hung maybe hunger's the wrong the wrong word, but like that spark for it.
0: I I lose it at times. And uh, it's one of those things where, you know, you're sort of uh, continually blowing on the Kindling to keep the spark alive. You know, okay. I, I have a buddy who's a huge 311 fan and he goes to see the band play every I don't year. Know. I didn't
1: know what that
0: is, what I, is. You're fortunate The I hate to shit on bands because music at its core is good. And 311 challenges my that that maxim on every they're a white funk band you know from the the 90s and the he and his wife go to see that they'll drive to las vegas and the and then uh and i feel so fucking smug and condescending and the and then when they come back they're they're all smiles they have gone to engage in their favorite thing with their favorite band together, a band that they've been going to see for uh, fucking 20 years or whatever, where they know the other fans, they're part of a community. They belong, you know, they found a place with other people who are like them. They, you know, yeah, they, but they belong there. They have their identity there. And I look at that and I look at the, uh, the warmth that they exude and I'm like, I'm a fucking asshole. Like I, you know, I just need to. I, I. Ho- hopefully, the cure is not is to find that with a different band, not three eleven, because I still ooh, struggle with that. No, but- I think
1: you know, you you take your human joy out of criticizing, you know, ragging on them in a, in an imaginative way. I don't think there's anything anything wrong with that. But yeah, it is m- music. Wh- Whatever kind of person it reaches, different kinds of music reach different kind of people, but I think when it really reaches people it's properly enriching like that isn't it and it can really i don't know like there's nothing about the bands I'm in which screams or talks about community yeah some with in some types of music that's an essential part of it um and I guess that then appeals to the kind of people who explicitly want to be welcomed into a community yeah. whereas whereas at the risk of channeling Bill Hicks, my kind of community would be the, for the kind of people who didn't normally want to be part of a community. Yeah. Um, who who found things like communities to be a bit, I don't know, maybe crass is the wrong word, but a bit simplistic. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, whatever, what different captains are different boats, as my grandmother used to say. Yeah.
0: Mm. Um. Andy, I'm just going to get
1: another non alcoholic beer. I'm just going to be one second. Yeah. The, fridge, the fridge is eight, eight seconds away. Yes.
0: It, uh, it is a satisfying sound to hear the the fridge open and close. The, <laughs> the well,
1: thank you. We do have, we do have refrigeration technology in, in great Britain. Um, and, and
0: the sound of a can opening still like more satisfying to me than like a fucking somebody, the sound of, you know, the crack of a bat, somebody hitting a home run. The, um, I actually, I have to bail for a very good reason. The, it's funny that we're talking about community and stuff. A, um, buddy of mine is this 22 year old skater kid who's sort of been in some shit. The, and he's sober now. And another friend of mine gave me a, an acoustic 12 string guitar uh, that I can't really use. uh, So I'm passing it on to him and he was overwhelmed and delighted and he's on his way to come and pick it up. The um, I just need to uh, squeak that in there. So I seem like a hero and not some uh, prick who's, Uh, beating up 311 but um, the what I've sort of been getting out of the podcast on this question what uh, what do you have coming up that you're excited for this year the whether it's the tour whether it's a record whether it's you know something new that you're doing or does your favorite band have a record coming out or just what's a thing you're excited about I'm just I'm just excited
1: about keeping going and doing everything. Really, it, it really is. It's, it's a question of keeping moving and staying in routines. The whole thing for me is that the, whether it's exercise, whether it's whether it's work, it's all about the routine. It's all about keeping doing it. If I sleep slip out of a routine for a week, that's it. I'm you know I need to I need to go go somewhere and be reprogrammed. I need to go and lie down in the middle of a field. Although I would never do that. I'm, you know <laughs> the, the stains the stains, my, 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 my wife would kill me. Um, But yeah, touring, I am particularly excited, stroke nervous about getting on an aeroplane and going to the States and Australia. Yeah. I mean, for all kinds of reasons, you could land, you could have COVID, you could sit in a hotel, an expensive hotel for 10 days, and you could go home and jump off a fucking bridge because you'd be so much in debt. Or, or it could be just the, the greatest time, um who can who can say i I honestly try not to have expectations. Uh, just just get there as long as nobody gets attacked with a sword, uh, or there's no I don't know no racial incidents. I'll take that as a start point. Um, so even just some predictable, I I I need to be. Ni- I I want to be neither over or underwhelmed. I'd be quite satisfied with just being whelmed, somewhere in the middle.
0: A good uh, fair to midland whelming.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know what? The, the, when you know the way it can go, it's best to it's best to take it's best to hold hold on eighteen. That's what I'm doing. Yeah.
0: Yeah um Andy thank you so much for doing this man you know no you all. know I'm a huge fan of your music and uh you've been a great friend to me in this uh in these oh, mate, like, no, no so, no worries at all uh, no worries
1: you. at all it's been a it's been an absolute pleasure you fucking colonial heathen
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh and hopefully I'll make it out to uh one of your U.S. shows here when you're over it would be it would be a delight it would be a delight to see you awesome all right take care my friend
1: enjoy your uh enjoy your bizarre guitar handoff
0: see ya, <laughs> see ya. Mr. Shibali is catching up with friends who are arguably more talented than him. Well, hello there. Uh, This is uh, Steve Jobs, the uh, guy who invented the apple as... uh, As you may know, I do a a podcast thing where I um, just randomly record things about my favorite podcasts and the Mishka Shabali podcast, absolutely one of them. Everybody over here at Apple, um, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, all the other billionaires working side by side in the factory here. We all love the Mishka Shabali podcast and we know that you love it too. So what we would love for you to do is head on over to the uh what what is it called any the i think it's just the podcasts thing i don't know go over to apple podcasts and please uh rate and review my podcast i mean the mishka Shabali podcast give it five stars it's it's incredible groundbreaking work uh definitely uh you know in the running for a PBD. um peabody a MacArthur. i don't it's it it should win a prize that's how good it is now Just five stars. Thank you. Steve Jobs signing off.